John Christensen here. I'd like to revisit a conversation I had back in 2017 that honestly feels more relevant than ever. At that time, I spoke with Dr. Michelle Borba about her newly released book. It's called Unselfie, Why Empathetic Kids Succeed in an All About Me World. Many of our clients have been concerned about raising altruistic children, kids with empathy, who are not only successful in school and activities, but who also want to make the world a better place. As kids increasingly turn to their screens and social media to interact, it's as important as ever to consider how we can help them develop a sense of caring and kindness towards others. Dr. Borba is an internationally recognized educator, speaker, and best-selling author on the topics of character and social emotional development, bullying prevention, and parenting. She has written dozens of books, been interviewed by countless national magazines, and appeared well over 150 times on NBC's Today Show alone. In this podcast, we dive into the relationship between privilege and empathy, what makes us altruistic, and how putting an emphasis on grades over empathy can actually inhibit your child's success. Now let's dive in. Hey, Michelle, John Christensen. I'm excited to have a chance to talk with you. And I wanted to just kind of bounce through a couple of questions that I thought might be of interest to the, the market and the, and the kinds of individuals that we serve are, are high net worth families, many of which are first generation families who are very focused on their kids, of course, and the issues as it relates to anything uh, in their development and launching them well. And so I, I really felt like this book had interesting uh, tangential insights into the things we talk about, but just from a different perspective. And so I thought that this would be fun to, to explore that with you a little bit, if that's okay with you. Oh, absolutely. Any way you want to go, you tell me. Okay. Well, let's jump in. You make this very powerful case that kids today are 40% less empathetic than kids were 30 years ago. And so I guess why, in your view, are teens less empathetic now and, and really what's changed? Thank you for the question. I think when I looked at that research, it it was like a knife went through me because I realized the impact was profound. And then my next piece was spending time researching the why factor. And I found that there was it was a combination. We all wanted to point to one thing. It had to be parenting or it had to be the Internet. And I found that there's a number of factors combined that are kind of like toxins to empathy. First, and in no order, the first one is the Internet. There, uh, we're dealing with digital natives, which is wonderful. But the problem is, is that they're also so plugged in. Common Sense Media says around seven and a half hours a day as a build-in factor. What happens is the more time you're plugged in and looking at a screen, the less you're looking at another human being. And the gateway to empathy is looking at another human being face-to-face because you have to learn emotional literacy. So... You're dealing with first a population of kids who would rather text than talk. What we've got to do is reclaim face-to-face conversation with our kids. Second, though, is parenting. And I think it's dramatically switched in terms of styles of parenting. And unfortunately, it's not based on science. I think, first of all, we all certainly want to parent because we, we love our children to death. But what we now know is discipline can make or break empathy. And the quick, fix, time-out approach doesn't instill empathy. It's too much of 
go sit down and calm down. But what we now know is Martin Hoffman says it's the five minutes afterward. What did you do wrong? What did you do next time in order to make it right? How would you feel if that happened to you? All those empathy stretching concepts. The culture has dramatically changed. Let's just look at the election for a minute. We're looking at a more uh, kind of an uncivil kind of a world where role models, you used to learn empathy best by watching others do it right or your own parents emphasizing it. Uh, I think we've been kind of taken over by Kim Kardashian and reality TV. Our kids these days are rather rich and famous as opposed to want to make a difference in the world. Even 10 years ago, when you grow up, what do you want to be? The majority of kids said a leader or a fireman or a doctor or a teacher, a helper. What do you want to be now? It is rich or famous has come up on the list. So what we're looking at is a combination of issues. The good news is we can still cultivate empathy if we're intentional about it, but those are just a few factors that are reducing it. So one of the things we talk a lot about when it comes to wealth and and specifically significant wealth is it can be a magnifier for what's already there. So much Mm -hmm. like gasoline is to, to a fire, um, what you already find in the home, what the parents already possess from an empathy capability standpoint, I'm curious what the connection is between the empathy level of the parents and their children, uh, and is there an interplay between those two? Yes. I started looking at empathy by actually studying the opposite, which was evil. I was uh, sitting on the killing fields in Cambodia, Four months later, I found myself in Rwanda studying genocide, and then I was working on army bases and kept doing side trips to Austria and Dachau. So it was a dark period of time. But in each one of those spots, what I found is that though there were genocide or moments of absolute horror, researchers had encountered people who were the rescuers, who had risked their lives for perfect strangers in any one of those, the worst-case scenarios. And so then we look at, so what created a rescuer or a real altruistic individual. And there are hundreds of those people out there, but they're not the kind of people that live for trophies, so it's hard to find one. What they discovered is that the number one trait was uh, it was how I was raised. So then they went, what do you mean how you were raised? And they discovered there was almost always three concepts. Number one is they watched their parents model it. My dad always stood for kindness or my mom always was about, you know, helping the, the neighbor next door. Second, it was expected. Uh, in this house, we're about kindness. We're about the concepts of stepping in and speaking out. And third is the discipline was actually exactly what I described earlier. It was that warm, less corporal, more uh, less punitive, but more empathy enriching. And as a result, when they were asked, why did you risk your lives, every one of the, those grown-ups now said, well, I had to. That was how I was raised. Interesting. Modeling is critical, and it's the piece that we overlook the most. It's the simplest way to raise an empathetic child. Yeah, because it's always easy to kind of say we're going to do something with our kids that we ourselves don't do or embody. And so that, that that's an interesting uh, uh, statement that you made, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I recently took a survey of other professional advisors to wealthy individuals, and they consistently reported that kids and money is in the top three concerns for their clients. And as I mentioned, many of our clients are first-generation wealth creators, so they're new at this. And their children are now growing up with a lot more privilege than they themselves did. Yeah. And if you look yeah. at Seattle, San Francisco, any of the wealth bubbles, so to speak, I guess I'm curious to know what you're seeing or how you're seeing wealth and economics play into the empathy learning exercise. 
Well, number one, every situation is different, and it obviously depends greatly on the parents, uh, what they stand for, their own moral identity, what their value structure is, and how embedded and internalized that is and passed down to their kids. But there are also, that said, some very strikingly concerning trends, particularly amongst privileged and upper middle class. One of the strongest correlations that we better keep in mind is that as wealth goes up, empathy goes down. That's really well-researched. And when you look at it and go, why? Uh, this is a number of researchers have looked at the same thing, and the, the bottom line they figure out is wealth goes up and empathy goes down. You don't need other people as much. And so your hmm. concept of getting along with others go down. That is just a red flag that says watch out for it because materialism and wealth can actually counter your child's ability to emphasize because a lot of times what we do is we feel that it's not as important because you can always rely on the money in the bank when in reality it, it'll counter it. The second thing we're concerned about is kind of a sideway, but it creates an empathy gap, and that is we're finding that one of the, the, the steepest rises in stress and depression amongst our kids are actually with upper-middle-class kids. Uh, in fact, look at the, the cover of Time magazine this week. His hits that again. Uh, Madeline Levine did a piece on that one and the price of privilege. This very well-researched base. And what happens is, is as stress builds or anxiety builds, it also can create an empathy gap. That means you can feel for another human being, but you dial down your empathy because you're in survival mode and you're taking care of yourself first. So... One of the things that I always caution parents of every generation and every, regardless of your zip code, there has never been a more stressed out generation regardless of zip code, but particularly with the upper middle class child, which means what these kids need is anxiety reducers. I just did a keynote with 2,500 college counselors. The majority of them were representing Ivy League, and it was all across the U.S. They brought me in to talk about empathy. Because what they were all universally agreeing upon is that they were seeing the smartest generation on record, but the kids coming in are empty. They can't cope with life because a lot of times they have been having people cope with them or so much has been put on the grade point and getting into Ivy League that the other part of them, the passion has been kind of burned out, which is, I think, a big trend that we've all got to uh, step up to the plate and realize that our kids have got to come out with both sides of the report card mattering. That's an interesting concept that the wealth creates, as I hear you talking about that, almost creates a sense of isolation uh, yeah. and maybe a lack of need for community, which is, uh, it sounds like, kind of the feeding ground for empathy to grow but my wealth yes. actually allows me to, to be, you know, the exact yes. thing that everybody wants is financial independence. Uh, we don't want to be dependent on anyone. So in that lack of need for community dependence, if we, if we stay isolated, we actually cut off the, the nutrients where empathy can grow. Yes. And there's a lot of research is proving that. In fact, as I was reading that research that kept coming out, in fact, I think the New York Times hit that piece of, as wealth goes up, empathy goes down, and reported on that. But then another piece came out called the village effect, and they discovered that one of the pieces that really does create empathy for our children is a sense of community. So, in fact, villages, when I was looking at all over the world, we're the most peace-loving, empathetic societies, and they're all small. They're small. It's the Mai tribe in, in uh, Malaysia. We're not all going to move to it, but when you look at it, 
they all have this supportive concept towards one another. School, what creates a really empathetic school environment? It's not the factory of, you know, 1,500 kids where you need a golf cart to go from one side to the other, but schools within schools or advisor-advisee programs. When kids know that they're being cared about and they have connections with their teachers and their peers, their empathy goes up. You're more likely to feel with others if you know others. And so it's a big piece that we've got to make sure that we are not creating insulation but opening the doors open because you're also more likely to empathize with those like you. Uh, I just got faced with um, spending a 10-day speaking tour, and it was very Incredible. Well, let's just put it this way. Over the top, incredible private schools along Connecticut, along New England. And um, what my research to them was, be careful. You've got to expand your child's social horizons and open up, you know, z- their Zoom lens so that they are experiencing others besides them because you're dealing with a, sending them to school where the majority of kids are in the same class or the same race or the same culture. And it can be curtailing because Harvard Business Review is saying what's really going to help our kids when they graduate is learning how to take perspective in a global world where they're mm-hmm. they've got it they're going to be dealing with a diverse population. If the the high net worth community has you know the ability, we have the ability to give our kids whatever they want. So we can give them the best academics, the best college. We can show them the path to the best paying careers. So in achievement in life, all across sports, everything, right? So there's no doubt, as you mentioned, it's creating stress and anxiety, though. Those things, while we can give them those, how how do you encourage parents to to balance that with empathy, which is kind of this soft thing (laughs) that doesn't feel quite as quantitative as the best schools? Yeah, well, the first point is uh, helping them realize the empathy advantage, which is absolutely huge. When we look at uh, which kids are going to be, for instance, more successful, let's, let's just look at a few of these, because I was researching this to try to figure out how do you counter that it's a soft and fluffy skill. Uh, mm-hmm. You actually live longer and healthier. Your child will outlive others if he has empathy, because the solid base of health and mental health is relationships and getting along. He's more likely to be able to get a job because employers, particularly the Harvard Business Review, are saying that one of the top five employability factors is perspective taking. And 20% of Fortune 500 companies are now doing empathy training with their employers because they don't have empathy to be able to get along and handle the life. Look at um, Harvard just signed a fabulous new piece with 18 Ivy League schools that passed, uh, signed on with it. It's a piece is called Making the Grade, when they're actually going to be far more picky uh, admissions bureaus when kids come in. They're so used to seeing these kids having somebody else write out their resume, somebody else do their essays, having them do 50,000 service projects, and the admissions bureaus are seeing through it because what they're realizing is the kid doesn't have passion about what he's doing. What we've got to do is figure out what our child's passion is because not only is that going to make him more successful, more likely to, to zero in on that as a vocation, but also do better in terms of with others. Uh, there's so many advantages to it when I was writing on Selfie and just the introduction that we're overlooking that part of it is helping parents realize that there is tremendous success in happiness, not in materialism, but in relationships with others and empathy 
can be cultivated. I think that's the other misnomer. It's not locked in your DNA, and it's not because of your gender, or it's not because of your birth order. It's because it was deliberately and purposely cultivated by the parents. This matters. This is important. Even the message we send to our kids, when you say you don't have time for it, it's not a program or an app. It's just finding the ways to weave it into your already existing schedule. For instance, back to Harvard, did another study where they looked at 20,000 parents and teens. This was like two years ago. And they asked them what matters most, the grade or that you're a caring individual. And what tanked was caring, down at the bottom of the list. Dean hmm. said, it doesn't, it doesn't make much difference to my parents. They want the grade. So then Harvard turned around and asked all the parents, your kid says that caring doesn't matter, and every one of them sat there with their mouth open and their face turning white, because it does matter to them, but the problem is the message isn't getting to the kids. Because the first thing when the kid comes home is always our question, what'd you get? As opposed yeah. to what kind of thing did you do? It's just finding ways to, when you said, what's the balance? It's not another program, and it's not another after-school activity. It's just natural ways back to the altruistic personality, which is actually the name of the book by Samuel Oliner, of why do some people become so highly empathetic and altruistic. It was how I was raised. How you were raised? Simple little day-to-day, here's what we stand for. Here's what our values are. Um, the second chapter in on selfie is moral identity, creating a moral family mantra. What do we stand for in this family? If you ask your child right now, what do we stand for in this house, what do you think that they'd say? If your child doesn't turn around and say, you want me to be kind, mom, it just means you're not talking it up nearly enough and instilling it in your child. So he's not developing a mindset that says that's what matters. Too often what matters is get the job, get the wealth, get the five-car garage. When in reality, when we look at the long-term research on it, is that going to make your child really the happy, healthy, productive, resilient human being? No, says research. It doesn't. Yeah. No, that's that's fascinating. Um, and I, I love uh, the way you kind of talk about caring for others and that that actually is crucial for more than just happiness. You talk about leadership, trust. Emotional yeah. hardiness, yeah. which is a great term. I love that. And, and just overall well-being. So that idea that it's, you know, that idea of happiness, which is also another very subjective term, but these, those are really concrete things that everybody wants for their children when you're thinking about launching them into life. I want them for my own life. Well, here's the other thing. I've seen a lot of parents, what they're also doing is taking that leap here. And that is, yeah, you graduate from senior. What are you going to do now? Find your, find who you are. Because what a lot of our kids, what we're doing is uh, we're finding Stanford studies also finding that the purposeful driven child isn't there anymore because we've been pushing him into one direction without the purpose. The most talented children, this was University of Chicago, they asked teachers who's the kids who are the most talented in, in from neuroscience to math to sports to all the above. Then they tracked those kids and they discovered that by age 13, the majority of those kids were burned out and quitting that immense talent because they didn't have enough time to explore that talent. They were being pushed in the direction that their parents thought they should be pushed in instead. For sure. Any Anytime we're, we're steering our kids that way usually doesn't uh, produce the kind of in my life. If I tell my kids what to do, that doesn't work so well. Yeah. I'm fascinated by your statement that self-control is a better predictor of adult wealth 
than other traditional things like education. I mean, that was that's kind of a shocker statement. I'm just curious if you can unpack that a little bit and just uh, help yeah, me understand that a little is, bit more. It's based on an absolute, every single thing in Unsalty is based on research that with a 10-year research project to figure it out. That study came from New Zealand, from Dunedin. What they did is that they, and I'm going to not be able to tell you how many numbers of years, but it's a longitudinal study. What they did is that they grabbed kids as they were being born in the same location within like 24 hours of one another, and they followed them up for all different zip codes for 25 years, 30 years, until they grew up. Which kids were more successful? And what they found is that one of the highest predictors of which kids actually were able to be not only mentally healthier, but also more financial for kids who had self-control and self-regulation. That keeps coming up over and over again. Walter Mitchell's 40-year, 50-year study on the marshmallow experiment from kids from Stanford. When we track the kids from age four till the workplace and later on finds the same thing. Why? Actually, it's uh, also uh, in the book, one of the major, I identified nine habits that were key to not only open up empathy and keep it open, but also success. And self-regulation is key because what they found is that without the self-control, you become the buyer. You become the impulse. You become, you want it instant gratification as opposed to, hey, I can take a moment. I can do a 24-hour wait. I can do a one-wear wait. I can do a one-month wait. And as a result, they were uh, they were able to manage the money, but they were also happier as a result of it. Too many of our kids um, become spenders. But the key is that it was learned. The parents also, starting at a very early age, taught them how to wait, how to put a piggy bank aside, how to, no, we don't spend it right away. We put half in our savings and half in our spending. So as a result, kids from a very early age learned that skill. Almost a patience. A form of patience in some level, it sounds yeah. like. Oh, but, sure. uh, yep. Because we're, so our many, kids are being raised on instant. Need it now. Need it now. Need it now. Um, so uh, the other thing our clients tend to talk a lot about is being concerned about their, their kids being entitled. Um, and they work really hard to minimize that, whether it's, you know, we're not going to travel first class or we're, you know, we're going to do things that, quote, unquote, normal people would do. But I guess you talk a little bit about being too entitled and what would be the kinds of signs that parents of wealth should be looking for in their kids that might lead them to, to the conclusion that, oops, my kids are too entitled. Yeah, number one is me. They don't they don't say we, they think me. And that would be a child who is also the more narcissistic kid. A we, a me child is age two is absolutely fine because they should be talking me. But gradually along the way, you'll find an entitled kid always wants things their way, their first. What about me? Where a child with empathy and less entitled considers the needs of others. Brand. Uh, and at age two, the majority of our kids are able to list just about every darn brand there is known to man. But this kid uh, wants instantly the brand as a recognition because it's almost that they're valuing their identity based on what they look like or their appearance. It's outside in as opposed to inside out. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, now is the third thing. I want it now and I want it instant, and they get it. 
because they know how to push a parent's button, and as a result, um, you know, you're walking by, and they're, hey, I need those coat shoes. Hey, I need that. Uh, I need that. You know, that that particular brand of a bag. You know, I look at um, a couple of stories. I how the Kennedys were raised. I didn't see that as much. Maybe that's a that it was brand isn't as important, but service was. Um, Rockefellers when they were growing up. I remember reading a biography, and the kid wanted money, wanted something. And the father instantly turned him and said, well, do you have it in your allowance? No, nope. I'm sorry. There was no loan involved. It was a matter of, <laughs> yeah, you were extremely wealthy, but sorry, you ain't got to wait for it. So think of now, brand me as three traits that are, uh, and, and put a paper bag in front of you and just watch your child on an interaction with others. Are they sharing? Are they taking turns? Are they considering others' needs? Are they polite? Are they well-mannered? Because those are all signs of a child who has empathy. They're considering somebody besides themselves. So the focus of the lens, an unselfie kid flips the lens and is looking at others. A selfie kid has the lens all looking at himself, and that would be the entitled kid. So you also talk about cultivating a charitable spirit in kids, which is a great term, or even young adults, not just kids, young adults. Um, why is that important to leading a fulfilled life? Well, I think that, the, the, first of all, all of the research is coming out saying that the more our children, what we have done is somehow become the connotation that happiness means what you have, giving to the child. And so we piled it on to the point where Christmas is out the door and around the street and it's like takes you all day long over to open up the presents. When actually the new research on happiness says the kid who is really the most fulfilled child is the one who flips it and gives to others. So that's a real easy thing to do, particularly uh, as a wealthier family, is making sure that you give towards others. It could be, yeah, you have a Christmas party, uh, but you also make sure that you adopt another family that's needy. You keep a box by your front door or a back door or wherever, and the box is just our charity box. And every time you have a gently used toy or a game or you're no longer with that book or that backpack, you put it in the box. And when it's all filled, we together as a family deliver it. What I find is that all of the research says if you really want to boost a, a charitable child, first of all, it's highly correlated with leadership. And one of the things you'll see over and over again is businesses are looking for empathetic leaders because they're able to get into the shoes of their employers as well as their clients, and, and that becomes far more productive. But the other thing is it boosts the happiness factor far more. But mm-hmm. best research on, on giving also says we make a huge mistake by doing it for our child. I'll deliver the box, or mm-hmm. let's put a portion of our allowance into um, adopting that overseas child, and then mommy nails it off when real transformation of empathy is always done face-to-face. It is absolutely fascinating. The, the, every single kid that I interviewed, and I interviewed dozens for that book, they were really empathetic, change-making kids. And I say, how did you get that way? And they all said, it all started with one moment. I said, what was the moment? It was when I gave my overcoat to that homeless man or when I delivered that laptop to that child or when Daddy said we were going to work on Habitat for Humanity and the the family came back, looked at the house, and their face looked so happy, I had to keep doing it. It's this spiraling helper's high that research says is so glorious and just 
it's a giving back as opposed to giving in. Just the power of generosity and that face-to-face yeah. interaction. Yeah. It's just that, yeah, that's, that's fascinating stuff. What encouragement would you give to wealthy families that, you know, it's not that they've got tremendous freedom and flexibility, but they also, that comes with this huge responsibility. And as you said, the studies show that it's harder than if I don't have wealth. So what encouragement would you give to those families that, that are in that circumstance that, that one, it's, it's worth it, even if maybe your kids are at the college age and you haven't maybe given it as much energy as you thought or, or, it, or that you realize now is needed? Is it too late? Is it, how, well, you know, is it worth it? Now, I think yeah, you've answered that part. Number but, one yeah. is, is it too late? No. If it was too late, the entire counseling industry would go out of business. So too with the self-help catalog <laughs> system. So look at Bill Gates and look at Warren Buffett. Look at, look at models like that. Look at how their kids, how it's instilling to their children. Angelina Jolie. There's phenomenal people out there that are role models that you're seeing. It is making a dent in their children because what the parents are doing is saying, we are lucky. We're enormously lucky because we do have the wealth, but part of what we're also about is people and helping others, and that's what we're going to do, and if we do it together, what a difference we can make. That's an enormously powerful position to be able to say to your child. Also, what an incredible memory, because a big mistake we do is push the kid out the door to go do the service project so it can look good on the Harvard resume, when in reality, kids tell me, Over and over again, the children told me, and they were very sharp, very well-to-do, and already set going off to, you know, Ivy of Ivy, but they all said those service projects, when they did them together with the family, were the best memories, and I said, why? I learned so much about my mother. I couldn't believe what I learned about my mother. She said we had to do it together. We could choose what we wanted to do together, but we were going to do She said, you know what? We we chose to go, and I can't remember what it was. I think it was a food fund bank. But the most amazing thing is I went away to college, and I kept doing it because she taught me that you can make a difference by doing for others. But then I came back, and I found out my mom's still doing it. She really walked her talk and believed it. It was like... Amazing things that kids were telling me about their parents, but the memories were, you know, not watching, having the parent watch them on a soccer field, but was it doing it together or doing the Habitat for Humanity together or doing a trip. And it doesn't have to be a pricey one that you fly all the way around the world to do it. There's so many causes that are right in your own neighborhood. A big piece is listening to your child or tuning in to what turns your child on or what cause concerns your child. Many of these parents, particularly the wealthier ones, did one simple little thing, and that was they always discussed the news. When they discussed the news, they were able to figure out, the parents said, what kinds of causes concern my child. It may not have been the cause that bothered me, but it was the cause that concerned my child. Man, I went with that cause. And then it was an great opportunity to help my child learn problem-solving, brainstorming, goal-setting, I'd always encourage it. We do together, and it was amazing things that happened. Stepping into their world as an opportunity to teach those kinds of things, that's, that's, uh, uh, that's wonderful. So what's at stake for our kids if, if we don't turn things around? Uh, civilization. <laughs> that sounds really like trite and true, but as empathy goes down and narcissism goes up, just those things like caring, compassion, concerns, civilized well-being start to go down. 
racism goes up, bullying goes up, cruelty goes up, and those are all the trends we're seeing that are going up. It's a far more crass world, but the problem is also is that there's tremendous good that's still being, that's still happening out there. Our children just aren't being exposed to it because all they're seeing is the doom and gloom on the newspaper. Or for heaven's sakes, turn on the news. Would you want to even get out of bed if you were a kid these days? What our kids are exposed to from bombings to beheadings to wars, live feeds. In the olden days, you could turn off your TV. You can't anymore. The smaller the screen, the less control you have as a parent. So you've got kids walking around with their cell phones that are instantly seeing horrific stuff. But I'd say then to a child because that dips your empathy. It creates compassion fatigue. You're less likely to reach out and feel for others or help others because you don't see there's any hope. Why should I do it? Because the world is a doom and gloom place. So start just looking for the good stuff that's always in the back page of the newspaper. Cut out good role models for kids. Incredible little stories of sports heroes or children that are making a difference and share those with your kids because it will ignite their passion. So begin to see, hey, the world is a good place. And very often, most kids who told me what I consider to be change makers, they were ignited to step in and do something because they were given a story about another child. And they said, boy, if he can do it, I can do it too. So it sounds like you're seeing evidence that the needle is moving uh, on this. It's just not all, all a downhill slope into into an abyss. There is there's there's hope there. There's there's yeah. families well, that are doing this. Yes, and why I know that is because I started speaking in April, really, really specifically about this. And I've been to hundreds of cities all over the world. Actually, I'm going to Cairo and Manila coming up. But what is happening is that when I speak to the groups. It is resonating. There are many schools and communities that are doing book club read-alouds or parent club read-alouds or just parent-to-parent reading it and discussing it. The whole change process starts with just education and knowledge. So the more we begin to realize, hey, there is a problem, but there is solutions. There's no one solution. There's a lot of options. But it all starts with we reframing how we want our kids to turn out. And once we realize that we want empathy to be one of the pieces, that's a huge jump that now it's like, okay, we can cultivate it, so let's start doing something about it. Well, thank you, Michelle. I just so appreciated your willingness to share and answer my questions about the influence on this high net worth market that we serve and just the interplay between your work and what we're doing. It's just interesting, and it's it's been really helpful, and, and I really appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. You take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Michelle Borba, presented as part of our Living Fully Conversations. Parenting, and I would even say grandparenting, is challenging and a very rewarding journey. I hope our discussion has left you with some helpful ideas about how to foster empathy in your own family and live fully together. This podcast was produced by Anna McLean with the help of Becky Parker. Highland Private Wealth Management Investment Professionals are registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. 
Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Highland Private Wealth Management and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates, make no representations or warranties express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Highland Private and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.